Good morning, church. We want to welcome you to Stone Point. Uh, We want to also say hello to those that are joining us in Edgewood at our uh, campus there. Uh, And hey, real quickly before we dive in, uh, this is our sixth week of a series called Small Town. We're going to wrap it up next week and just want to make you a pastor promise that next week you'll want to be here. And here's why. Because we're going to tell you how this community of faith here at Stone Point, one church, two locations, is making an impact across the world. And I'm telling you that... uh, the generosity of the people here uh, are truly making a difference uh, in places all across the world. And so next week, we're going to uh, just kind of highlight that for you. It's going to be an opportunity for us to hear about what God is doing. It's not going to be a sermon at all. So that's why I'm like, you should come. Uh, you don't have to worry about me. Uh, what you should do is just come and hear about what God is doing and about why um, it's important and how you've contributed to it. I think there's meaningful ways. And so, Pastor Promise, it will be worth your time to be here. Because uh, it just helps you to realize that here in the heart of Vanzant County, uh, little small towns called Wills Point and Edgewood, uh, with a gr- bunch of people that trickle in from there, at a place called Stone Point Church, that God is using it to make a difference. And so I hope that you'll come and be a part of that. Uh, today, I want to talk about this idea of generosity as we kind of begin uh, to kind of get the heart pumping for next week. Uh, and the reason why I want to talk about generosity is because um, it does something for us uh, and ultimately our relationship to the Lord. And here's what I want you to realize is that today uh, you may be here and you may say, well, listen, I didn't, I didn't come so that you would just, you know, twist my arm about money. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons I don't like to come to church because every single church I go to, y'all talk about money. And every time you talk about money, I feel like that I'm supposed to do that and I feel guilty and all that good stuff. And I'm not coming back if you're going to talk about money. And I would just say that if that's you today, welcome to Stone Point. We're glad you're here. <laughs> we pray that you get a different approach and a feel to what we're talking about than maybe ever that you've in a place you've ever been. Our goal is not to, uh, by compulsion or guilt, um, twist your arm into doing something. What I do hope you realize is why the Lord says it's important. And here's the deal is, uh, as we think about this idea, uh, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And Paul, is, he writes a couple of different uh, letters to one church called Corinth. Uh, Corinth uh, is what we would know as kind of modern day Greece, but it's in the very south portion of that. And it was in a region called Ahia. And Ahia was there, and the prominent city in Ahia was this place called Corinth. And they were very wealthy by human standards. They had all the resources that they needed. Uh, it was just north of the Aegean Sea, and so uh, they had plenty of resources there. But up to their north was another region, and that region was called Macedonia. And the Macedonian region had several different churches in it. Uh, One of the churches uh, that was there was a church called Philippi. Another one was a church called Berea. Another one, a church called Thessalonica. A couple of churches that we recognize. And up to the north uh, in this area of Macedonia are, are some churches, and they don't have all the resources they do down in the south in the area of Ohio where uh, this this idea of the the church of Corinth is. So up to the north, you've got all these little smaller churches and and these people, by all accounts, have poverty. Uh, Much of what we would think in terms of us. Matter of fact, it's not uncommon for me to meet with other pastors and we're talking about similar size and demographics. Our giving per capita is way less than most churches. And one of the reasons why is because of this idea of economic poverty. 
poverty. Uh, it's just a little different in our county than it is in other places, uh, particularly, let's say, just Dallas County or Kaufman County. It's different out here. And so you can kind of begin to appreciate that and you realize, yeah, okay, I understand that. Well, here's the challenge is that Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and here's what's happening. He says, hey, listen, we're going to take up an offering. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he goes, we're going we're gonna to get on board and we're going to give to the church of Jerusalem. There are people there that need to hear the hope of the gospel. There's a local gathering there in Jerusalem and we need to support them. And so the Macedonians stand up and places like Philippi say, yeah, we're going to get on board with it. We're going to give to the cause. And then even down in the south in the area of Ohio, this church called Corinth, the Corinthians say, hey, we're going to get involved too. We'll be a part of it. And all of them are kind of dialoguing with Paul and other believers. And they're saying, hey, we're going to make commitments. We're going to get on board. We're going to give. We're going to be faithful to that. Well, Paul writes a second letter to the church of Corinth, and here's what he's doing. He goes, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to be coming your way. I'm going to head through the area of Macedonia. I'm going to stop there among the brethren. I'm going to pick up the offering, and then I'm going to make my way down to the south. And hey, Corinthians, I'm going to come to you. And as I come to you, hey, just be ready, because um, I've heard that over the last year, since we first talked about the offering for the church in Jerusalem, that now you're starting to backtrack. So if you might remember like early on in churches back in the day, they used to have you do commitment cards. Some still do it. Um, And so you have to like say, hey, this is what I'm going to give. And you write it down. It's called a pledge. Uh, We don't do pledges, but a lot of people do. Well, they had basically pledged that we're going to give a certain amount. When the time came, he noticed that the church in Corinth the one that was prominently wealthy, the one who had most resources are beginning to backtrack. You could just sense it. You could feel it. You could see it. And so Paul writes to them. And when he does, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's going to highlight the giving of those that are a little bit more poor and a little more destitute. And that is the people of Macedonia. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Just verses one through five. And so just, uh, you can catch them up on the screen with me. Uh, he goes, hey, we want you to know, brothers. Again, he's writing to the church of Corinth, which is down in the south of what we know as modern day Greece to the Corinthians. He goes, the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So here's what he goes. He goes, hey guys, I'm coming to receive the offering in which we agreed upon. I'm gonna stop by Macedonia, but get this, as I did so, and I've talked to them, they have already given exceedingly great. Matter of fact, they gave so much that we had to tell the church in Philippi, this church of poverty, to stop giving. Now listen, that is every pastor's dream. I mean, if a pastor could say, hey, guys, stop pouring in all the resources. That's what they did with the Macedonians. They go, listen, you have given above and beyond. They are a replica of the widow's might, the lady who gave all that she had and Jesus commended it for it. The church in Corinth, however, is kind of a reminder of the rich young ruler. Uh, 
And he's the idea that Jesus goes, hey, come and follow me. Go and give your riches to the poor. And he goes, no, I don't think so. And he walks away. And the reason why is because he wouldn't let go of his wealth. He had closed fist and a certain kind of death came over him because he lacked generosity. Well, Paul writes to the church of Corinth and he goes, hey, the people up north, they don't have near as much as you do. And they gave above and beyond their needs. He goes, I'm going to come to you. And then when you get to chapter 9, the first five verses of chapter 9, here's what he basically does. I don't know if you want to call it some crazy philosophy or trick or if he's just kind of kidding or he doesn't really know what to do. He's kind of joking with them. But here's what he says. He goes, hey, listen, they've been so generous in Macedonia and I've been telling them that you're going to be super generous too. So in some ways, even though he knows that they're very hesitant about generosity. He's kind of, in a sense, in the first few verses of chapter nine going, I've been telling everybody about how generous you're gonna be. He's playing it up, even though he knows that there's a heart of resistance. And then in verse six of chapter nine, he gets to some principles for the church of Corinth that I think we can learn from. And I think we can learn from them because maybe we don't really see it this way as it relates to our generosity. And so in 2 Corinthians nine, verse six, He goes, here's the point. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now listen, you could take this verse and you could apply it to money if you'd like. Um, And oftentimes people do to, in a sense, manipulate God. Um, Here's the problem. If you give to get a bunch back, then what you're doing is not manipulating God. You're actually being God. What you're saying is if I give a bunch and I can get a bunch back, then what you're saying is you're going to God yourself. That's not what this text is talking about. What Paul is doing is he is, ta- he is talking to the church of Corinth and he's going to give just a simple farming principle. And so I want to just share the farming principle with you real quickly. And it is, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. It's a farming principle. It's really simple. The more you sow, the more you'll grow. Yeah, you say it with me. The more you sow, the more you'll grow. And I get it. You're like, oh, so you're talking about money. Like the more I give, the more I'll get back. No, it's a farming principle. Farming principle. So out here in Vanzette County, we are the greatest producer in Texas of sweet potatoes. I bet y'all didn't know that. But out here, we have the dirt for sweet potatoes and we produce a ton of them. Get this, here it is. Secret. You want, to, you want to reap a bunch of sweet potatoes? You got to plant a bunch of sweet potatoes. Okay, so here's the deal. If you want to, if you want to plant 10 acres, okay, you'll get a, a harvest back and it'll be 10 acres worth of planting. Or if you really want to reap a harvest, you plant 100 acres. Now tell me real quickly, which is greater, 10 acres or 100 acres? Go ahead, say it with me. 100 acres. Now listen, we got to do it one more time because everybody in Edgewood checked out right there. Okay, so here, how many acres? 100 acres. That's not rocket science. This isn't some crazy philosophy or some principle of giving. What he's saying is, he goes, the more you, the more you sow, the more you'll grow. It's just a simple farming principle. If I have a bag of seed, I can choose to sow all the seed or I can choose to sow some of the seed. Then what he's going to do here is he's going to tell us why we should sow some of the seed and not necessarily all the seed. And so here's what he does. He says, now, 
Each one of you must give as he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giving. Now he's going to move it into the heart of our giving. But what he did is he gave a farming principle in order for us to get our mind churning to understand what he's talking about. And so he goes, now look, all of us should give. And what I love there is that Paul writes to this church who is stubbornly um, kind of in resistance stepping back and they're not keeping their word. He goes, look, the, the goal is not should we give or who should give? He just says, each one must give. He goes, everyone should give. As believers in Christ, it's not a question. Should I give? Shouldn't I give? Should somebody else give? Maybe it's not going to be me. Somebody else is going to do it for me. He goes, no, in obedience, he goes, everyone should give. That's just simple. But he goes, you should, you should what? Give as you've decided in your own heart. The idea is, is that you shouldn't do it under coercion. At the end of the day, somebody shouldn't make you pledge a certain thing. The goal of the church is not to know what you make and then in some ways try to figure it out as to whether or not you're given the right percentage. That's not the goal of the church. That's not really the goal of a good shepherd. What the goal is, is for us to realize that everyone should give and we should do so with without compulsion or reluctance, because God loves a cheerful giver. At the end of the day, we should give because of what's been given to us. And so then he says this, verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. And so what he does here, he goes, okay, the more you sow, the more you'll grow. You should give and you shouldn't do it under reluctance or compulsion because your arm is twisted. You should give freely to the Lord with a heart of generosity, with a laughter of sorts, a cheerfulness in your, in your soul. You should do that because you love the Lord, which means that none of us should rightfully walk out of the room and say, I can't stand when the church talks about giving. I don't know about you. We're not going to pass an offering plate today because we don't have one. We don't own one. And so we're not going to ask you to put your watch in the play. We're not going to ask you to put an extra $20 in the play. We're not going to dictate whether or not you do it or not. When we see it passing, we're not going to bring it back around. There's no guilt or compulsion. I'm not going to make anybody. We never have and never will. Here's why. If you love the Lord, then the Lord has to work that out in your life. And he, he's ultimately trying to establish a heart of generosity and cheerfulness. Why? Because he's saying, I've got you covered. And what he does there is he's just reminding us about the grace that abounds to us through his son, Jesus. And so in verse eight, he goes, God's able to make all grace abound, all grace. And then he says, so that you would have all sufficiency so that in all things and at, get this, all times. Do you see it? All, 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 all. Hey, in, in all grace, all sufficiency, all things, all times, that grace may abound in every good work. For as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He goes, God has you covered. Matter of fact, it's the same principle that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter six. In Matthew chapter six, you'll, you'll hear Jesus talk about not storing up treasures on earth, but putting your treasure in heaven. You got that? You might remember that. Um, then further on, he goes and he talks about something else. And, and he's talking about the heart of anxiousness. And anxiousness oftentimes happens when we're not sure that we have enough. For instance, we don't have enough time or we've got too many commitments or we don't have enough energy or uh, we don't know if we have enough um, 
wisdom. Uh, it could be that we don't have enough money for the bills that we have, whatever. Those things produce anxiousness. When all grace isn't abounding in your life, it produces anxiousness. So real quickly, anybody in this room would say, I know that over the last year I've struggled. Just raise your hand. I've struggled with anxiousness. Just a little yeah, I mean, there's this thing called anxiousness or anxiety, and there's lots of different things that ultimately bring, bring it on. And look, I'm not trying to undermine you or even try to Jesus juke you, but here's the deal. When we know that we're anxious, okay, when, when we're anxious, here's what you and I should know. It's a really good inclination and a sign that we're probably not trusting Jesus with grace abounding in all things, with all sufficiency at all times and all seasons of our life. Does that make sense? At the end of the day, when we're just restless and maybe it's at night and we're, we just can't rest because we know there's something or maybe it's in a relationship and we're just, there's anxiety there or frustration there, any of those times, any of those seasons, we're trusting that, that God is going to fill in the gap and when we're anxious, we're basically saying, God, I'm not sure that you're sufficient in all things. And now it also happens in the area of finances. It can happen in lots of different areas. And the reason that it's important is because of what Jesus says in Matthew 6. So I want you to see it. I'm going to put it for you up on the screen in both locations. It just says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, whatever you will eat or whatever you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It's not, it's not life more than food and, and the body more than clothing. And then he says, hey, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And so what Jesus does, he gives this principle. He goes, look, I know there's anxiousness in you. I know there's worry. I know there's fretting. I know that there's a struggle because it's hard to look too far ahead because you're, you're worried, you're anxious about all the things that are coming. But he goes, what if you didn't look as far ahead? And what if you just looked for the Lord's provision today? And he goes, what about the birds of the air? He goes, I care for them. And you notice that. How much more do I care for you as my prized creation? After all, the scripture tells us that we're creating the image of God. Now listen, I know there's a lot of animal and pet lovers here. We love pets at our home too. But listen, there is nothing that deserves the accolades and ultimately the prized possession of God's love more than humanity. More than your dog, more than your birds, more than your cats, more than your goldfish, more than anything else you have, your pet snake, whatever you got. Um, God loves you. And here's what he's saying. He goes, listen, my grace abounds in all things, in all sufficiency, at all times, and in all ways for you. If I can take care of the birds of the air, how much can I take care of you? Why, why are you worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to do next? He goes, at the end of the day, I've got you covered. Matter of fact, verse 28, he goes, and why are you anxious about clothing? I, I think he's got a bunch of women in front of him when he's talking about this. I don't know that. I can't prove it. But I'm just talking, I mean, he's talking about clothing quite a bit. And then he goes from clothing to lilies. So I'm like, must be. Ladies, I don't know, lean in here, I guess. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all of his glory is not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, oh, if you of little faith? Therefore, hey, don't be anxious. Don't say, hey, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then he says something really profound here. In verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. 
What he's saying is, and it's the same principle he's talking to the church in Corinth. He goes, listen, when you understand that what you are ultimately sowing is reaping a harvest of righteousness for God's namesake, he says, you can trust that I have you taken care of. You can trust that I care for you deeply, more than the birds of the air, more than the fish of the sea, more than the mammals that go along the ground, more than the reptiles that slither around. He goes, I care for you. Now, if you'll seek me, and seek me first. Then he goes, everything else that you need, your provision in your life will be taken care of. Maybe not the way that you designed, maybe not because you toil and work with your own hands, but he goes, I will meet your needs. If I care for the birds of the air, I know when a sparrow hits the ground, then guess what? I know everything you need. That's the idea here. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to the church of Corinth. Matter of fact, in verse 10, he says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, what he's talking about is that giving principle. The more you sow, the more you'll grow. What he's saying is, he goes, look, if I supply seed to the sower and bread for food, will I not supply and multiply your seed for sowing? What he's doing, he goes, look, when you harvest 10 acres or 100 acres, he goes, now you have a choice. He says, as you choose, he goes, you can do a few things with it. One is you take all that seed. He says, you can make it into bread and you can cover your table and the tables of your neighbors. And he said, you can consume it all. He goes, I wouldn't do that, although that does supply your needs. You could also save some if you'd like, and you could just put it up on the shelf and you could you know, have it for a rainy day, which is what we'd call wisdom, right? He goes, you can spend it all if you'd like. You can spend some of it and then you could save some of it. But he goes, what I would recommend is that you would, that you would eat some of it, that you would save some of it. And then he goes, I would, if you're wise, I would put a little bit back. And instead of planting 10 acres this year, I would plant 15. You need enough seed to sow for a better harvest next year. What he's saying is, is just a real simple, profound thing. The more you sow, the more you'll grow. And what he's not saying is, hey, you're gonna hoard it all to yourself. You're gonna consume it. Matter of fact, that's not what he says at all. Look at it. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, not consuming, not saving, for sowing. Why? Because the more you sow, the more you'll grow. The idea here is this, is there's something about our hands being open. And if we're not careful, we'll approach God with a closed fist. And when we approach God with a closed fist, there is a certain kind of death that comes over us. We don't, we don't get his blessings and we don't give his blessings. But when we open up our hands and we go, God, we're gonna trust you. We're gonna, we're gonna trust that you're enough. We're gonna eat because of your provision. We're gonna save because of your provision. And then, hey, we're gonna invest some for a future provision. And when we open our hands to God, then he goes, there's some blessings that come from God and ultimately through us to other people. It's this principle of faith. Now, here's the crazy thing is, you think, okay, so you're saying that when our hands open, it demonstrates our faith. And I would say, absolutely. Matter of fact, I think Jesus spends a third of his time teaching about resources, money, provision from God. He, he talks about this probably as much as he does anything else, including heaven. What I'm talking about is this. He's going, there's a certain thing that you need to know about me. And here's why. 
He goes, what you believe about this demonstrates your faith. Now, here's the deal. You think what demonstrates your faith is your knowledge. And so if people were to look at your Bible and it's all highlighted and it's all marked up, then people would look at you and go, oh, wow, she must be a really solid Christian. Oh, he must be really solid. No, it's not the mark of your faith. You may go, well, if they were invited into my prayer closet and they heard me pray, if they heard the things I said and all the wisdom that came from my mouth, they would know that I'm really solid. No. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, solid people have simple prayers. It's not about confounding the wise, and it's ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not about being fanciful. Well, then what is it? What gives us more, ultimately, production of our faith is if people saw behind the scenes on how we handle our money and resources. God says, if you want a measure of a man's faith more than anything, he goes, you should know that what they do with their checkbook, what they do with their money shows more about what they believe about God than their Bible or their prayer life. Crazy, right? But that's what Jesus says in Matthew uh, 6. Actually, right before he gives us all about the, the birds of the air, all the things and how much he cares for us. In verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's he talking about? He goes, you'll show what's important to you. And that's what he's talking about. And so here's the crazy thing is you go, okay, but why? Like, why? Like, what's the purpose of our giving? I guess it's so that God will bless us with more stuff. And the answer is no, it's not so God would bless you with more stuff. It's not so that you would have bigger barns, bigger stuff to store things in. Here's what it is. Look at verse 11. The reason that we have a harvest of righteousness from God is verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. To consume, to keep, no, to be generous so that through us, it will produce thanksgiving to God. Wow. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service, which is the ministry of giving, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Church, lean in with me real quickly. Here's what the text is saying. When we trust God with our resources, with our finances, in a way that produces an open hand, he says that it will produce many thanksgivings to God. So here's the deal. When we meet needs, praise proceeds. When we meet needs, praise proceeds. Say it with me. When we meet needs, praise proceeds. Give me an example of this. Kelly and I, about a week or so ago, we're driving, uh, it's about a week and a half now, we're driving um, through town and uh, I was coming to the office and I saw this lady and she was out weed eating her yard. And um, the thing is, when I saw it, I, I said something to Kelly and the reason why is because the day that I was coming to the office before, uh, that morning, I saw her out weeding her yard. And so I thought in my mind, because I'm brilliant, um, I thought, man, she has discovered a new workout plan. Um, it must be awesome. I gotta go ask her about that. Um, no, that's not what I thought. What did I think? I was like, man, she must be in need. Like most people would use a lawnmower, but this lady two days in a row, probably in her mid sixties, maybe a little older, is out weeding her yard. And so I'm like, Kelly, there's someone up with that. And Kelly's like, well, let's turn around. And I'm like, like, okay, cool. Let's go turn around. And so I turn around and I drive up. And of course she looks at me and we look at her and there's this like brief pause. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. What are you doing? Um, and then we have a conversation. I said, I, I can't help but ask, um, why, are you, why are you weed eating? I saw you weed eating yesterday and then... I see you weeding it again. Like your whole yard has been 
mowed and cut. Did you weed eat the whole yard? And she said, yeah. And I said, you don't have a mower? She's like, I had a mower, but I don't have a mower anymore. And I'm like, really? I was like, cool. So I tell you, 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 have you lived here all your life? Yeah, I live here. And matter of fact, some of my family goes to your church. Like, really? So we have a conversation. She goes, maybe I should check out your church. I said, well, I'm, I'm not dropping in so you check out my church, but tell me a little bit about it. Have you been to church? Well, I used to go to church. I don't really go to church anymore. I hadn't been to church in a really long time. Why? I mean, well, I just, this stuff, you know. And I'm like, oh, it's all, it's all cool. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Would it be okay if, if me and our church just blessed you with a lawnmower? Like, would that be okay with you? You know what she does? Right there at our window, she puts her head down. And you can just tell, like, like this is just a moment. A couple hundred dollars probably produces in her a thanksgiving to God. See, when you meet needs, praise proceeds. Now listen, let me explain something to you real quickly. The reason I want you to come back next week is I want you to see the multitude of needs that are being met all across the world. But I'm telling you, and I, I would say with everything in my bones, this is the most generous body of believers I have ever been a part of. You have no idea how many hundreds and even thousands of dollars goes out of here on a weekly basis, meeting people's needs who will never step foot in this door. And the reason why is because when we meet needs, praise proceeds. And some point, because of the generosity of our people, people are going to look up and they're going to go, I know I didn't produce this with my own hands. And we can go, we know you didn't. And guess what? We didn't either, but God has met your needs today. And that, my friends, is what it's about. The best thing about our giving is that it produces thanksgiving. It produces generosity in other people. Verse 13, it says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Look at that. The reason that you give is you're gonna meet the needs of people in Jerusalem. You said you would do it. I don't wanna twist your arm, but know that if you do, when you meet the needs of the church in Jerusalem, they're gonna look up and they're gonna see your submission to the gospel and they're going to thank God for you. And they're gonna thank God for his provision. And the generosity of your contribution will say something to them. What's it say? Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You know what God's inexpressible gift to us is? Is that his son willingly went to the cross of Calvary, uh, Calvary that he that he was on the hill of Golgotha, that he gave up his body for you that he would give up his blood for you, that you were a sinner, that you were nasty, that you were confused, that you had made mistakes, that your past was blemished. And God, yet in his generosity says, but look, there is enough of a price to be paid for you. You have done more than you'll ever know, but guess what? My son will stand in your place. He will stand as a punishment from God. He will reconcile you. He'll be both your high priest and your king. He'll also be your appropriate sacrifice. He's never sinned. He's without blemish. And he's willing to give an inexpressible, glorious, holy gift on your account. And when you open up your hands and you allow God to bless you, he goes, you'll meet the needs of other people in such a way that it will, what? Proceed with praise.
from other. People will look up and they'll see the inexpressible, glorious gift of the God that we love because of your generosity, because of your giving. And here's the deal. You may think, well, I think all I'm giving to is bricks and stones and mortar and buildings. And, and listen, can I just tell you, if that's what you think you're giving to, or that's what you feel like you've been twisted in, by all means, please stop your giving today. Please, by all accounts, you're not giving to buildings. We're giving to people and life change. We're giving to hope of the gospel, the inexpressible gift of God's glory. In 1856, there was a church that believed this. Uh, right before the Emancipation Proclamation, right before Lincoln would take office, there was a guy uh, named Henry Ward Beecher. And uh, he was pastoring a church called Plymouth Church, a church in which he founded in New York City a church in which uh, would make waves uh, throughout the North, and here's why, is because they had began to set a precedent for getting involved in social issues. One of the issues, though, that they got into in June of 1856 was at the hands of a man in the North who had just recently sold his daughter to someone in the South. A father sold his daughter, a daughter of great beauty and admiration, of purity, sold her at a very young age for $1,200, which would have been a lot in that time. Sold her to a man in the South who ultimately, if you can imagine her beauty and her charm, her intellect, would be used for many reasons that didn't honor the Lord. Because of God's grace, this girl Sarah landed in the hands of a guy who had bought her for $1,200, but seeing her beauty and her charm, but most of all her innocence, and because of her character and the way that she lived her life, he knew that they should not take advantage of her anyway. And so they reached out to Plymouth Church and said, if you will help me recoup some of my cost, I will gladly for $1,200, the purchase price of this young girl, I will set her free if you'll help. So Henry Ward Beecher says, no problem. This guy who bought the girl, Sarah, actually put $100, convinced one of his friends to put another $100. They approached the government. They got them to put in another $400. They had 600 of the 1,200 raised. All they need is 600 more. And here's what he did. He goes, look, I'm going to help you, but I need Sarah to be brought back up to the north. They bring Sarah up at the very end of their church service. They bring Sarah out, this pure little girl, beautiful they go, hey, here's the story of Sarah. And they share this with their congregation. People's tears in their eyes in the north, in New York City. They say, look, it's time for us to stand up. With the inexpressible gift in which we've received from Jesus, we're to set this little girl free. And they collected over $600 that day. And little Sarah went free. They made it a habit at Plymouth Church of being involved in abolitionist movements, saying, hey, we're going to set the captives free. Isn't that what Galatians 5 tells us to do? to set the captives free. Church, I want you to realize that you're not giving to plush salaries, that at the end of the day, we're giving to life change. We're giving so that when we meet needs, praise proceeds. And I pray that we would be known as a church of not only generosity, but in this small town of rural Texas, I pray that you would know that there are being felt needs met across the world, that churches are being planted because of you and because of your generosity. And I pray that you and I would not be foolish enough to keep things to ourselves when we know that a bountiful harvest is going to live on to the next life because of our giving and our generosity. Pray, church, that God would move us to being the people of God that are generous because the generosity of God's Son, the inexpressible, glorious gift of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but if your heart's not moved to generosity because of that, listen, we need to check our hearts. 
And my goal is not to manipulate, twist your arm, coerce you in any way. Because at the end of the day, you don't have to be moved to give anywhere here, but I do pray that you would meet some needs. Matter of fact, the reason that I even chose to do this message is because every Christmas, me and a couple of friends, including our family, we get together and we do something that's over and above our tithe and our offering. Matter of fact, every single year, even right now, we have a collection, a stash that we are putting back even right now. Every day, we know that it's being put back and we know that every single year around Christmas time, that me and our friends are gonna get together and we're gonna go somewhere and we're gonna help someone that we know and that they need. They have no idea to this date that we're a part of it anyway, but we do this every single year. Our kids have the delight of being a part of it. They knock on doors and then they're running through neighborhoods. It's a glorious picture. Uh, we think we're gonna get busted by the cops for being generous. Isn't that awesome? Um, and it's just something that we do. And here's the deal. The reason that I felt so captivated by this is the text that I got from my buddy on Christmas Day. And he says, I wish our entire community was this generous. And I pray that everybody in our community would know that they could meet needs like this and it doesn't have to be through our church. And I'm like, yes. Because at the end of the day, we don't have, I do believe we should give to the church. I personally give 10% to it and then over and beyond, I try to meet needs anonymously sometimes. Sometimes it's just a lawnmower. But I just pray that God would use that. Now, here's the reason I tell you that. Some of you are like, I just don't know that I can give. Look, I pray that God would encourage you to start in some way. Here's a couple of simple ways that you can start. One is on both locations, we have these things called offering boxes. If you'd like, you can drop $5 in it, $10. You could write a $100 check, whatever. Every single week, you could put money in it. And I get it. I just said a word there that you didn't know. So let me go back. You can write a check. Anybody in here know what a check is? Okay, cool. Okay, I don't use checks. Uh, I, I don't even know where our checkbook is. Anytime that I ever need it, I have to call Kelly and go, hey, you have any idea where our checkbook is? And what she says, hold on, I'll look. I'll find it and I'll call you back. About an hour later, she's like, hey, I found the checkbook. Awesome. So we don't use it. So the second way that we give, and, and we do all the time, is we give online. You go to stonepointchurch.com forward slash give. Kelly and I set up a recurring donation because it's not uncommon that we'll either travel or we'll be out of town or something will be happening. We're going to give anyway. And so we give, and it's really helpful for us that we just have set a commitment and we give. We encourage you to consider doing that. We encourage you to even rethink maybe what it is that you do give and maybe that you could give with a little more generosity than you do already. The third thing is this. There's some of us in here that are like, man, I'm scared to give. I, I'm like, I just don't know that I can trust God in all things. And I'm waffling a little bit about that. But here's the deal. We want to hold your hand. Look, here's why. We hold your hand in prayer. We teach you how to pray. We'll hold your hand in Bible study. And we'll teach you how to read the God, word of God and how to begin to interpret it. Why would we not practice holding your hand in the area of giving? And so here's how we're going to do that. If you're here and you're like, look, I want to give. I, when, I, when I meet a need, I want praise to proceed. I want to use the resources God's entrusted in my care in a way that honors him, then here's the deal. We, we set up a thing last year called the 90-Day Tithe Challenge. We're going to do it again this year. Here's what it is. The 90-Day Tithe Challenge is us commitment to you to help you take a step of faith. And here's what it is. If you will commit to setting an amount in which is, is a tithe or Maybe it's a percentage of your giving. Maybe you say it's 5%. I can't trust God all the way with 10 or a 10th or whatever. Okay, I, I, we're not, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about a step, taking a step, because a step shows it's a faith step. I don't care if it's a faith step of 
$50 or if it's $10. I don't, you take a faith step. We'll trust that. But here's the deal. After 90 days, if you've taken a faith step consistently over 90 days and you have not seen the Lord produce in you a picture of righteousness and a beautiful picture of his grace in the area of your giving, then we'll give every dollar back to you at the end of 90 days. That's our commitment from Stone Point to you. Our word matters more than anything else. If, if, you, if God hadn't taken care of you, that he hadn't clothed you, that he hadn't fed you more than he does the birds of the air, then guess what? We will apologize and we'll ultimately give that money back to you. To date, we've never given money back, and here's why. Because God is supreme in his authority, and he'll, he'll always take care of us when we seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. And I pray that would be our greatest goal. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. Thank you for the grace in which we received from you. I pray for many of this people in this room that today they'll go to stonepointchurch.com forward slash 90 day tithe challenge. I pray they'll take the step, that they'll jump in. And I pray that you would bless them as a result, not with more money, not with more stuff, not with a way of manipulating you, but with an opportunity to sow more seeds into a future kingdom. I pray that we would know that lawnmowers, that money on Christmas Eve, that giving to the local body to meet needs all around the world is all a part of you and your name being praised. Because when we give, even though we don't always get to see the need around us met, there is, there is praise that's proceeding all across the world because of people here and their generosity. God, help us to be generous because you have been so generous to us in offering your son for people like me who at the core of our being are unworthy, unlovable, yucky, vile, and sinners. But God, you have set the sinners and the captives free and we thank you for that. Because of your spirit, I am free indeed. And I pray that we, like Plymouth in 1850s, would set the captives free. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen.